But let me tell you something. We can learn some things from those who have a winning attitude and a winning mindset. I've been in the ministry 26 years doing this. 26 years. I've attended church for 26 years. I've led church for 26 years at one capacity or another. And I've got to be honest with you. Christians... Those that claim to know the creator of the universe sometimes have the worst attitude and the worst mentality and the most losing mentality of any group of people I've ever seen in my life. For whatever reason, we have bought the lie that what Jesus said about life and life more abundant, which is ours, we have bought the lie from the enemy that says, no, it's not. It's for somebody else. We've spent the last two months talking about reframing our mindset because we know that where the mind goes, the man will follow, right? So we've spent time on a series called Reframe where we learned how to engage life not as a problem but as a challenge, as an opportunity, and reframe our thinking about a current situation that we may be in. What are you in right now whereby you know that you could value from reframing your mindset and seeing it in a different way and really beginning to understand that God really is on the throne. Let me tell you something. The funeral ends today for you. We also spent the last month talking about, and we did a series called Don't Look Back, where we learned how to look at the past and let it be instructional, not destructive. So we need things to instruct us, not to destruct us. Amen? And so we learned what it meant. And and two weeks ago, we had an all-out snotty cry fest in here when we dealt with this issue called unforgiveness. Let me tell you something. Some of you, some of you walked in it, are walking in it, and you're walking free for the first time in a long time. But I want to say to those of you who are not quite yet free, your funeral ends today. Now, here's what we've got to do. We've got to come to a place where we stop mourning the person we used to be. We've got to stop looking back and pining for what was. First of all, we never really remember it like it really was. It was not as glorious as you remember it and as your mind has recreated it. Can I get an amen? Amen. If we're honest about things, it wasn't the glory days. It was the gloomy days. And we were depressed and longing for what either went before that or what was going to come ahead. But we weren't too excited about the days we were in. But it's funny how we will recreate that memory. So we dealt with this issue of looking back. Now we want to come to the next logical thing. We've reframed. We've learned how to not live in the past, but begin to move forward. So now we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what it means to have a winning mentality and what it means to win in life. First thing I have to convince you of, and Pastor Rich started this ball rolling last week very well, by the way. Can we give Pastor Rich a blessing? Amen. Amen. We started this ball rolling, but we have got to, first of all, convince you that in the end, you win. Uh, But what about the meantime, coach? What about right now? Every day, you have the choice of winning or losing. Every day. Let me give you some quotes before we open the scriptures and look in the Word of God. Randall, I'm giving you a heads up here. I want to give you some in it to win it quotes. And say this with me. I am in it to win it. Look on the screen. Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches. I went online, Googled him. Well, actually, I looked at YouTube and watched some of the video footage of Coach Vince Lombardi. Oh, my goodness. 
What an amazing coach. What an amazing man of character and integrity. And he was all about excellence. Someone say excellence. He was all about excellence. Look what he says about winning. Winning isn't everything, but the will to win is everything. The will, the mindset, the mentality. Like, like, the, like Coach Lingle said on the screen just a minute ago, look, it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says if you leave it all out on the field. Here lately in the last few months, I've been preaching pretty hard. I don't know if anyone's noticed or not. But I've literally been leaving it all out here on the altar. I don't know if you remember when Greg Burson was here a while back and he said he saw this as a coffin and that I was laying in it. Well, there's a reason. It's because I'm bleeding all over this thing every week. Why? Because at 48 years of age, I am more passionate now than I was 30 years ago when I came to know Jesus. Let me tell you something. I was excited when I came to know Jesus at the age of 18, but I am more excited now than I've ever been. I've got a Caleb spirit on my life, whereby when I get to be 85, I'm going to be like, let's get this thing done. You know what I'm talking about? Why? Because I've understood this fact that not only in the end we win, but we can win today. Say, I win right now. See, we understand we're going to win later because we're all good about it. Everybody will clap to that one. Oh, hallelujah. When I get over the glory land, when I cross the Jordan, when I get over into Beulah land, we get real excited about that. But let me tell you something. You win right here, right now. You win in that boss's office. You win in that interview room. You win when you're taking that test if you studied. Come on, somebody. You got, so you got to take a winning mindset into your studies. Oh, boy, I'm about to preach. Look out. I'm about to alienate half the crowd here. It's the truth. Someone say the truth hurts. Here's another quote by John Wooten, a great godly coach. He said this, failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to change. Man, I love the Texas Rangers motto this year. It's time. It's time. Someone say it's time. I don't know if it's going to produce a winning season, but it'll produce a winning mentality. Amen? Someone say, it's time. time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time. time. Now turn to somebody else and say, it's okay to laugh in church. Now turn to yourself and say, loosen up. up. Man, we got to get excited about it. The funeral ended, remember? So now that the funeral's over, we can celebrate and party a little bit. Amen? All right, let's go to the next quote. Look at this. Larry Bird, one of my favorite basketball players because, one, he was a white man who couldn't jump, slow, but the man could shoot the lights out of a basket. Come on now. You know what I love about Larry Bird was his practice ethic. He had a work ethic that, that belied his, his initial physical limitations. And look what, look what he says. I don't know if I practiced more than anybody, but I sure practiced enough. I still wonder if somebody somewhere was practicing more than me. How many of y'all know that's a winning mentality right there? That's somebody who's, because everybody said about Larry Bird, he practiced more than anybody. I mean, after the game, before the game, he was the guy who turned the lights out in the gym every time. All right, here's another one I love. Michael Jordan, another guy who everybody thinks, man, he just came out of nowhere. No, he did not come out of nowhere. He came out of somewhere. Years in obscurity, years being rejected, by the way, and kicked off of his junior high uh, basketball team. How many know that coach was wondering what he was thinking later in life? Look what he says. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is Michael Jordan. How many know you got to take shots 
to make shots and you're going to miss some. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. Now, let's read the last line together. And that is why I succeed. Wayne Gretzky put it this way. He said, I miss 100% of the shots I never take. I made a statement earlier that, uh, that Christians tend to be, there's a mentality in the American church of, go get them, pastor. Go get them, preacher. Go get them, evangelist. Go get them, celebrity pastor, as you're clicking the, the TV and cheering them on. And it's time for you to step up to the plate and say, the funeral ends here today and my life begins today. Say this with me. My life begins right here, right now, today, out of the ashes. I will arise. Come on. Somebody ought to clap on that one. That's good stuff. Let's do something. Let's stand to our feet. This is going to be a little different today. I'm just feeling crazy. All right. Stand to your feet. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. We're going to look in the New King James Version first. We're going to stand in honor of God's Word. Amen? We're going to give the Word first place and honor His Word. We're also going to read it in the message, but I want you to look in your Bibles, or you can look at the screen, and it says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one? Someone say, but one. But one receives the prize. Now look what Paul says. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Let's say that all together. Read that with me. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's definitely talking about you. Next verse. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or moderate in all things. That means they're in training. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, referring to the wreath in the original games, where, where your trophy wouldn't be a, a gold-plated plastic statue. It would be a wreath that they would place on your head, and that was your trophy. That was what indicated you were the winner, and it was a perishable crown. In other words, it would eventually dry up and go away. So it says, now they do it, these athletes, to obtain a perishable crown, one that's going to go away. But we... Say, that means me. But we for an imperishable crown. In other words, the trophy, the crown that we're going for, the prize we're going for, will last for eternity. It will never perish. Say, it will never perish. Okay, next verse. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air. Have you ever seen a little kid fight? Man, they're just flailing, just beating the air, but hitting nothing. Next verse. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Say this. Say, body, body. get into subjection. I bring you under the rule, the reign, and the authority. Of the Spirit. And look what it says. I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Go ahead and be seated. 
Now I want to look at it in the message translation. Go ahead and look at the screen. I'm going to start reading. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. And then he says these three words. I love this. Run to win. Say that with me. Run to win. Say it again. Run to win. One more time. Run to win. Now look what he says. All good athletes train hard. I want to know something. If, if an athlete who aspires to get an imperishable crown trains hard, how much harder should we who aspire to get an imperishable crown, how much harder should we train for this thing? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I'm just tired. Pastor, I don't know. I'm burned out. Pastor, I just don't have time to get in the Word. Pastor, I, I, just, don't, I, just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, that's just not me. Someone say, all good athletes. Okay. I don't want to be about just being a good athlete. I played sports all my life, played every sport all my life growing up. But let me tell you something. We trained hard and we worked hard. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But let me tell you something. I'm training now for a crown that is so much bigger and so much more important than the Olympic Games so much more important than the Pan American Games, so much more important than, than anything that's out there, the Ryder Cup, the Davis Cup, you name any cup that's out there, the crown, the cup, the glory that we are training for is for life. It's the kind of thing that you don't put up on a mantelpiece to display and go, look what I did. The kind of crown that we are going for right now is the thing that you display in your life every day, in the workplace, in your home, when your kid is blowing up, when, when your spouse is blowing up, when your co-workers are blowing up, when your boss is coming down on you unrighteously, that's when you display the champion that you really are. Hey, how many of y'all believe this thing is practical? Listen, we're going to give you some tools through this series that are going to help you win in life today. Going to help you win at the restaurant that you go to right after church, and when they don't cook your food right, instead of acting the fool... And getting upset about it, you're going to bring life. Because you're being trained. And you're going to win. Say, I'm going to win. See, we think it's all about winning the glory. Getting on the cover of some magazine or, or having some big ministry. Let me tell you where you really win. It's at the restaurant. It's at the checkout line at Walmart. It's sitting at Starbucks six cars back wondering where your latte is. When you get up to the window and they've been drinking too much of their own product and they're all hyper and happy. And you exude life and grace and mercy knowing they're not getting rich doing what they're doing. And they're taking a lot of heat for what they do. Can I get an amen? You win in life when what your child deserves is... But you know how to turn it into mercy and bring grace and bring life into it. You're going to win when you're sitting at a computer, men. And you're so tempted to click on that mouse. You're going to win there. That's where you're going to be a champion. going to be a champion. Listen to me. This is where the word of God works, but you got to work the word, but the word of God works. It's going to work when you go up to that refrigerator and you know, you don't need it. You know, you know, 
The Holy Spirit is witness to your heart that it's time for a change. It's time to do something, that it's your time to get back in shape and to get this thing under control, to get this addiction under control. Folks, food can be an addiction. Can I get an amen? And you go to the fridge and you're going to win in that moment when you make a decision. You make a quality decision to not go there. You're going to win on that business trip when you're at the hotel by yourself. And you've got an unlimited expense account. Boy, you can watch something on TV. You can order something for the room. And you're going to win because you're a champion. And because you're training for a crown that will not perish. Can I get an amen? Let me tell you, the word works in real life. It works when you've been talked about or badmouthed or accused. It works. But you've got to work the word. Can I get an amen? Is this too real? Is this, uh, you know, I know we should keep it all up there in the clouds where it doesn't matter, where we can all go home and, and leave here and not have to do anything, but shouldn't we bring it down to where we live? Shouldn't we bring it down to where we pay our bills and where we do life and where the car's breaking down and you're like, man, I got to have some faith just to start this thing. I'll never forget some students from my church one time, man, we'd had a just blowout church service in California, 200 youth showing up and it's just crazy. Wow, and God was showing up and moving. And my youth, man, they were so full of faith and so full of fire. They're driving down Bear Valley Road in Apple Valley, California, and the car breaks down. And they just, here's what they did. Instead of getting mad, they thought, wait a minute, the word works. They, you remember this? They jump out of the car. These are my crazy, radical teenagers. Jump out of the car on Bear Valley Road, busy, Southern California. And they lay hands on the car. And they start commanding it to work and commanding it to start. Now listen, it's kind of funny now, but let me, when you're out on Bear Valley Road and you're broke down, you need something to happen. Guess what? So they prayed over the car, got back in the car, it started right up. Let me tell you something. You can explain that in the natural. You can go, well, maybe it was this and it was that. But let me tell you what it did for those teenagers. They drove down the road rejoicing and praising God that he cares about a car. Let me tell you something, the word works, but you got to work the word. And what we're here for is to equip you how to win in life and work this word in real life. Anybody want some lessons? You ready to go there? All good athletes train hard. They do it for a good medal or a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. But you're after one that's gold eternally. Say, my trophy, my medal will last forever. It will not tarnish. <laughs> Look at the next verse. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. How many of y'all would join uh, uh, Eugene Peterson, Pastor Peterson, who wrote the message translation, by the way? He wrote this translation because he wanted to get the Word of God into language that his kids could handle. And so he developed this translation. He says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. We got any runners here? You got, I'm just asking a question. Do we have any runners here? Do we, whoa, I, I think I'm going to have to ask again. Do we have any runners here in the house? Do everybody that's running for the finish line? You got anybody here that's striving for the prize? All right. Well, how many of you want to join me in running for the running the race? Come on. All right. Well, stand up. No, I'm just kidding. Drop and give me 50. All right. Here we go. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. Someone say with everything. We sang that song with everything. Let me tell you, when we sing that song, if we're for real. <laughs> we ought to leave everything out on, that, on the altar when we sing that song. 
with everything, with everything, with everything, with everything, with everything, with everything. You know what I have on my phone? Winning in life. Winning in life. I want to be reminded every time I open this thing up, I'm winning in life. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. Isn't it funny how we're the sloppiest in church in life? Your boss tells you to be there at 8. You're there at 7.55, 7.50, 7.45. We show up for worship, man. It's like, oh, well, it's just church. It's just church. They're not going to miss me. No, we're not, but God will. And I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm just saying... Is he not worthy of our praise? Is he not worthy of us showing up in a corporate sense so that we together can go to God as his people? It's one thing to come to him in your shower. Hey, hallelujah. Woohoo! Sounds good in here. Great acoustics. But let me tell you something where it really matters. It's right here. When we come together. Man, I tell you, I was so excited at 4.50 this morning when I got up. I was like, God, is it time to go to church yet? Is it time? I can't wait. I walk into prayer this morning, about half the group's comatose from sleep, and they've eaten too many donuts or something. But I came in, I was like, man, come on. We got something to celebrate here. We got something to be excited about. Let me tell you, young people, when you're my age, I know I look really old to you guys. 48. Trust me, when I was your age, it seemed ancient. But when you're my age, I feel like I'm 18 still. Right? Right, older folk? But let me tell you something, when you're my age, you better be more excited than I am right now. You know why? Because you're getting a jump on me. I didn't even become a Christian until I was 18 years of age. So you're way ahead of the curve. Can I get an amen? amen. No sloppy living for me. I'm going to actually show up on time because God is worthy. Amen. I'm actually going to pick up the trash in the bath- bathroom because somebody's going to pick it up, right? We don't treat this place like a motel. Can I get an amen? This is God's house. I'm preaching now. Or I'm meddling one. Some of y'all who've never cleaned this church need to get your tail in gear, sign up on a sheet, and go, can I help out? Can I do something? Because your staff cleans it every week, by the way. I do floors, and I'm good at it. I'm an anointed mopper. I want you to know something. And now, and I tell you, after walking, and this, this is God's house. This isn't just some old office building that got renovated. This is now the house of God. Yeah, I'm a little old school on this, but I still believe this is to be respected and to be honored. This isn't a hotel. This isn't where you come and just use stuff and go. But we have a motel mentality when we come into this place. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit, it bothers me when I walk into the bathroom right before the service and, and uh, I'm like, golly, this was clean 30 minutes ago. Okay, I'm just talking, no sloppy living. I'm just taking that word. See, the word works in real life. Can I get an amen? In fact, it ought to produce such excellence in us that we're walking around going, oh, there's a cricket on the floor. I better pick that up. Some of you are like, oh, man, he's had too much coffee. He's been down to Dandy Donuts this morning. And all that's true. It's anointing in a cup. Hallelujah. Next verse. I'm staying alert and in top condition. Woo, glory. 
Man, I love that. I'm going to keep going or I won't finish. I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not going to get caught napping. Remember, Jesus found the disciples asleep. He goes, could you not just wait here one hour? Could you not? I mean, my life's on the line. I'm about to go to a cross. I'm about to get beaten to a bloody pulp. And I'm about to die for the sins of the world, including yours. And you can't even sit here for an hour without going to sleep. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it and then missing out myself. Let me tell you something. Listen, Jesus is not going to pass me by on the water. Jesus, he is not passing. I am like Jacob who got a hold of Jesus and went, he went from a cheater manipulator to a champion. The word Israel means champion in Christ. Let me tell you something. I am not going to let him pass me by. You know what? Some of you need to get that kind of tenacity, that kind of mentality. I'm not going to miss what God has for me. I'm not going to miss the blessing. Say that with me. I am not going to miss the blessing. All right, let me give you something that will help you understand kind of what we're dealing with. Zig Ziglar came out with a book years ago called See at the Top. Great book, by the way. And I read that back when I was in college in the mid-early 80s. Yeah. And uh, back, big hair. I mean, it was, it was quite a time, wasn't it, folks? But I read that book, and it impacted me. And I remember there was one line that just stood out to me, and he talked about we cannot put up with or live with stinking thinking. In other words, we've got to change the way we think, change the way we see life. So we've got to deal with that. And really, in church, what we're dealing with among the Christians right here today is a spirit of fatalism. Let me tell you what fatalism is. In fact, we have the definition of it. It's this. Fatalism is the acceptance of all things and events as inevitable. It's the philosophy that all events are predetermined so that man is powerless to alter his destiny. It's mental. It's a mental wall or a barrier of defeat. And a lot of us got this, this wall on the inside of our brain that says, I'll never get further than this. I'll never get beyond where I'm at. It may work for you, but it won't work for me. That is a mentality of fatalism. How many of you know that's a lie from the pit of hell? Do y'all know the devil's a liar? He is, by the way. The Bible calls him a liar and the father of it and says he was a murderer from the beginning and he's a thief who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus come to do? He says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I don't know about you, but I'm on Jesus' side. So I'm about abundant life here. Well, past that must mean everything's going good for you. Nope, wait a minute, no. It's not dependent on my circumstances. It's not dependent on my mood today. It's not dependent on how I woke up or what my hair is doing today. Come on, somebody. It's not dependent on the weather today. You know, it's so weird in church life. I mean, we get a bad weather day. It's like, oh, great. We're going to lose a third of our attendance today because the weather's bad. Yeah, wow. Man, some of y'all look at me like, oh, pastor, just move on, move on. <laughs> All right, let's talk about how to build an in it to win it mentality. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Are you with me? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. 
2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5, look what the scripture says. You therefore, and this is Paul talking to his young pastor, his young, he was mentoring, coaching young Timothy. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes, read it with me, according to the rules. Now, you've got to understand, there are some fundamentals or some rules. There are some things that just work. Say, the word works, but you have to work the word. And when we use that saying or that cliche, what we're saying is that though the word works, there are some rules whereby we have to work the word. Someone say it's about the fundamentals. Steve Merle, who pastors one of the largest churches in the world at this time, over 40,000 members in Manila, the Philippines, puts it this way. He calls it SOBS, S-O-B-S, and it stands for Same Old Boring Strokes. They've asked Steve Merle, how did you grow a church so big, SOBS? Same Old Boring Strokes. Well, what about, the, what about the new things that are coming out? The new fads, the new church growth trends. What about this? What about that? What about, he's like, same old boring strokes. In other words, let's take what God's word says. Let's work that word. And that word will produce fruit in people's lives. Someone say sobs. Same old boring stuff. It's our boring strokes. And, and the reason he says that is because his son's a tennis player and his son was getting lessons by a very high-paid, very high-powered coach. And his son's an up-and-coming tennis player in the university, and so they pay a lot of money to go, go be coached by this great tennis coach. The great tennis coach stands on one side and has Steve's son back on the baseline, and he just starts hitting ground strokes to him. If you're a tennis player, you know what I'm talking about. He just hits ground strokes, just ground strokes. More ground strokes. Two hours later, they're still hitting ground strokes. Steve's starting to go, okay, what's the deal here? I just paid this guy a lot of money, and he has my son hitting ground strokes. Someone say, same old, boring strokes. Well, then he said, all right, I'm going to change it up. He starts hitting backhand ground strokes. Two hours. Someone say, wax on, wax off. There was a mentality there where he said, look, if you will learn the fundamentals, you will always outlast your opponent. But I want to learn the fancy stuff. Man, I want to learn how to do the cut shot and spin. And I want to learn how to do top spin, back spin, side spin. I want to learn how to drop the ball just over the net. I want to learn how to cut it up. Same old boring strokes. This great coach. They expected one thing, but what they got were the same old boring strokes. That's how Steve built a church that is 40,000 and growing right now. They're not doing anything fancy. In fact, we got to attend one of their life groups, and it was the same old boring strokes. It was discipleship. Teaching them how the Word works and how to work the Word into their daily life. Same old boring strokes. Say it with me. Same old boring strokes. Let me tell you how you're going to win in life. You're going to learn what the fundamentals are. You're going to learn what those strokes are. And you're going to keep stroking and keep stroking. And you will outlast your opponent, the enemy. And the Bible says this. Those who run the fastest, best race, those who are the strongest, those who are the mightiest, will win. No, it doesn't. 
The Bible says that those who endure to the end will be saved. Same old boring strokes. But pastor, we, we want to see the glory cloud. Lord, we want to taste the glory. Come give us a pump. Come give us some spiritual adrenaline. Come on, give me a spiritual five-hour energy drink. The Lord says, same old boring strokes. Make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. Hear the word. Think the word. Speak the word. Confess the word. Work the word. You will outlast your opponent. So, anybody want to learn how to build an in it to win it mentality? 1 Timothy 4, 8 and 15. Look what it says here. We're going to read out the ESV on this one. For while bodily training is of some value. Somebody say amen. Somebody, some of us need to get a hold of that verse and not see it as a reason not to. Oh boy, it got quiet. All right. Hallelujah. Godliness is of value in every way. Training in godliness as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 15 says this. Practice these things. Someone say execute. execute. See, the fundamentals won't do you any good unless you execute the fundamentals. Can I get an amen? Practice these things. Execute these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Someone say, same old boring strokes. All right, number one. We'll do this quickly. You ready? Number one. Write this down. Change what you think. You say, well, Pastor, I think I heard that before. Yes, you did. And you will hear it again. And again. And again. And when I see 150 in here walking in victory instead of defeat in their life in every arena, then we may move on to something else. But we're going to stay on the same old boring strokes for right now. Change the way you think. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at the screen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He doesn't want you dead. He wants you living. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now look at the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You're a transformer. Come on, somebody. Say, be changed. That means to change your form. That's what transform means. By the renewing of your mind. Say, by the renewing of my mind. Say it this way. By changing the way I think. That's what the New Living Translation, that's how it words it. Be transformed by changing the way you think. That you may prove or test out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed, but be changed. Someone say, I'm being changed. So we got to begin to change what we think. What are we meditating on? What are we thinking about? We've got to reframe what we're doing. I'm reminding you of where we've been. We have to reframe our current situation. Where do you find yourself today? Where do you find yourself in life? Are you where you want to be? You should thank God you're not where you used to be, but I don't know about you. I'm not where I want to be. I'm in process, right? So that means every day when things come my way, I have to reframe. I have to rethink. I have to rechange the way I think about a particular situation so that I can get my mind set in the right direction. Here's a scripture that will help you do that. Philippians 4.8. Look at the screen. Finally, brethren. And look what it says. It lists out some things to think about. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, look what it says. 
meditate, think on these things. This is called replacement therapy. It's literally where you take out and you flush out old thoughts by bringing in new. Am I making sense? There's a reason Kojak sucked on a lollipop. And about three people are of age to have remembered that show. I knew that was going to happen when I said it. I was just curious as I throw it out there. Kojak was a bald-headed guy. He was a cop, street cop, rough detective. And he was trying to kick smoking for seven years of their season running. And so instead of smoking a cigarette, he'd suck on a lollipop, on a Tootsie Roll pop. Come on now, it was the best kind, chocolate especially. That's what I'm talking about. What was it? It was replacement therapy whereby he put something in when he took something out. A lot of us want to try to get rid of things, but we don't replace them with that, which is life-giving and healthy. So you've got to take the word and take those things that he says to meditate on and begin to let those replace the negative thoughts. Can I get an amen? Somebody say, you've got to think right thoughts. You've got to think God thoughts. All right, so those things you replace, that's replacement therapy. Number two, here's another thing we do. We're building an in-it-to-win-it mentality. Anybody in it to win it here? Anybody all in here? In it to win it. Say, I'm in it to win it. Number two, you've got to change what you see. Notice the word change is in all of these. You've got to change what you think, but you've got to change what you see. You've got to understand something. Your eyes are like a gate. It's an eye gate. And you can either close the gate... Or you can open the gate. Do you know that it is up to you what goes in? It's up to you what you allow inside. And it will absolutely impact your imagination. Because, listen to me, we become what we behold. I'm going to say that again. This is important. We become what we behold. What we keep our eyes on. What we continue to allow in through the eye gate. We become that. Because we leak out what we're full of and we begin to build an image, a life, an imagination around that. Let me tell you something. God's given you a sanctified imagination. And you need to begin to take in that which is going to build life in you. Is this too practical? Okay, you want something more heady, more up there in the clouds? Okay, good. Stay with me then. Change what you see. Psalm 101, verse 3. Look what it says. I will set nothing. Someone say nothing. You know what nothing means in the Hebrew? No thing. That's deep, isn't it? I will set no thing. Say no thing. Now look what it says. I will set no thing wicked before my eyes. Well, pastor, what does that mean? Hello, we're all almost adults here. I will set nothing that will destroy me before my eyes. I will allow nothing before my eyes that will take me down. And that may be a different thing for a lot of people because, I mean, there's a lot of folks here represented here. And we have a lot of things that destroy us. And we could go down a list, but there's no sense listing it because you already know because the Word of God and the law of God is already written on your heart. Amen? How many know that conviction you feel, that prompting you feel by the Holy Spirit that we call it our conscience? But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will rise up and you go, oh, stop that. Not good. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I'm not going to allow that in. Say the eye gate. Someone say, close your eye gate. 
So this comes back to replacement therapy again. You've got to change out what you're looking at. Let me tell you something that's really powerful to get before you. It's the Word of God. Oh, but pastor, that's hard. Well, then find a translation that you can read. Okay? If the King James is a little too much for you, Elizabethan English, thee, thou, hast not. Hey, it's a little bit too much for me. I mean, when when Jesus said, when the Scripture says about Lazarus, he stinketh. Yeah, that's that's a little bit weird. But you, so find a translation that works for you that you can read. But get this word before your eyes. And by the way, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. Amen? Your eye gate will determine what you internalize and it will impact your imagination. The, the things that you image on the inside of you will be impacted by what you see. Say, I will not, I will not set, anything set anything wicked before my eyes. Okay. All right. Number three, we did a change what you can think cha- or change what you think, change what you see. Now you've got to begin to change what you hear. You've got to be, again, replacement therapy. Change what's going in the ear gate. You've got to begin to shape that. Do you know that you can control that, by the way? You can shut down those things that are coming against you. Those things. Well, that might mean there's people in my life. We'll talk about that in number five. So here we go. Change what you hear. Isaiah 30, 21. Look at the scripture. Your ears. Listen to what the, what the prophet, the, the Lord was speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying. Think about that. If, if it's saying behind you, it means you're probably in motion at this point. Your ears will hear as you're going. You'll hear a word behind you saying, a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. You know God has ordered your steps. And the Bible says this, that your steps have been ordered in and by the word. Your steps have been ordered, but you've got to listen for that voice behind you giving you direction and guidance. John ten twenty seven. look at the scripture. Jesus says this to us, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And you know what? Further in the, in the text it says, And a voice of a stranger they will not follow. That means we've got to be careful what we're hearing. Is it God, the devil, or me? We've got to discern that. And then we've got to listen and we obey. He says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they obey. They follow. Say, I will follow the voice of the good shepherd. Say, I'm in it to win it. All right, so change what you think, change what you see, change what you hear. Romans ten seventeen is the last one. Look at this. Faith comes. Faith comes by what? Really? I thought it just came by, by, by seeing. I thought it came by going to conferences. I thought faith came by hanging around really spiritual people, just rubbing off on me, just catching it. No, no, no. Faith comes by what? And hearing by what? The word of God. Someone say the word works. But it won't work if it's just sitting on your coffee table. It won't work if it's in the back floorboard of your car. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Sitting there with your McDonald's sack. Come on, somebody. Is that real or what? (laughs) So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Someone say the word works. But I have to work the word. Here's number four. Listen to this. You've got to change what you say. Gosh, pastor, this is hard. Well, this is for eternal life. You're training for the championship of the, of the galaxy here. 
We are in training. Say, I am in training. So we have to change what we say. We've got to begin to rethink, hear, see, and then we've got to begin to change what's coming out of our mouth. We've got to begin to say something different. We did a singles retreat three years ago, and I gave everybody a bracelet, one of those rubber bracelets. And I said, all right, everybody start with, put it on your right hand. Everybody said, like, this is cool. I've got a bracelet, you know. So I gave out all these people. I said, now here's the rule. Here's the deal about the bracelet. This is a complaint-free weekend. This was three years ago. You should have heard the sound that came out of them. That guttural, oh, uh. I said, this is a complaint-free weekend the whole time we're here at the ranch. So from Friday evening till Sunday when we dismissed around noon, here was the goal. They had to put the bracelet on the hand, and every time they complained or said a negative critical word, they had to move the bracelet from one hand to the next as a tactile reminder of a, it's an action married with a thought. So, so all through the weekend, it was hysterical. It would be like, oh, you moved your bracelet. I can't believe it. Oh, i got to move mine now. I mean, it was, it was a vicious cycle. And I mean, by the way, we ended in the weekend, we're all red. You know, our wrist was red and burned from pulling this thing off and on. But it was so difficult to take a group of people who, for the first time in their life, actually had to think about what they were saying. Can you imagine if we just did that here? Every time. How about if we set it up this way? Every time you complain, an electromagnetic shock will go through your body. Would that not be hysterical? Yeah, I got an active imagination, I know. Or a cattle prod. No, I'm just kidding. We got to begin to change what we say because the Bible says we'll have whatever we say. By the way, that works in the negative too. Our words are powerful. And our words literally set and determine the course of our life. God created the word, the world with words. Let me tell you something. You create your atmosphere with your words. Can I get an amen? I'm not going to stay long on this because it's, it's time to go. But Deuteronomy 28. We're not going to go there through the whole thing, Randall. So you don't have to go there. But jot this verse down. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. That is a whole series of things that are tools in a sense whereby you can begin to declare what God says about you. For example, it says something like this. I am blessed coming in and blessed going out. The word blessed means I'm empowered to succeed and prosper. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Everything I put my hands to shall prosper according to that passage. It also says this, that I've been made to be the head and not the tail. How many know if you confess that, that might be strong? Driving in this morning, I just confess the word. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city. Then I ran over to Isaiah. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Then I ran over to Ephesians chapter 2. I've been raised up and seated together in Christ in heavenly places. Then I went back over to the New Testament and said, I've been made to be the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you can just take God's word and begin to work that word and get that word on your mouth. It will shape everything in your life. You will become a spiritual, supernatural air conditioner in the truest sense of the term. You will condition the very atmosphere and air that you breathe. Can I get an amen? We know it works in the negative. Just walk into a negative environment. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know no one here has ever created one of those. But y'all know what it's like to walk in the workplace or in the house or wherever into a room, into a group, and there's just this negative atmosphere. Let me tell you something. That is like spiritual raid to me. You might as well just spray the atmosphere with one of those raid bombs, set it in the middle of the house and just shot it off. Because that negative word is destructive by nature. You've got to change what you say. Mark eleven twenty two says, says, you will have whatever you say. My question for you today is, what are you saying? What are you saying? You should, can we make this practical? You should get your spouse and you should make a covenant with them and say, every time a negative word comes out of my mouth, I give you permission to call my attention to it. Oh yeah, I felt that. Annette and I do it, and it's brutal. It's brutal, is it not? We, and it's, it's tough. We have to go. Now, you have to get nice about it. You can't be all bold about it like, shut up. I can't believe you said, listen to what you're saying. You're killing me with your words. Now, you have to say, honey, listen, I understand you know, you're having a bad moment here, but um, can you kind of go, I mean, you got to be careful. got to be gentle, okay? Friends, roommates, you ought to say, listen, if I'm saying junk, if junk, if poison's coming out of my mouth, would you mind just stopping me? Call my attention to it. Now, if you want to be coached and not coddled, just tell people to get up in your grill when they start that mess. And then say, thank you very much. Appreciate that rebuke. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It's quiet when we talk about these things. Your confession will determine your direction. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Lunch? We're about to go. <laughs> Hang in there. Let's have the worship team come on up. Come on, worship team. Number five. This may be the toughest one out of the whole group. Someone say, uh-oh. No, someone say, give it to me, coach. Come on, I want to hear this. Number five, change the company you keep. Okay, I don't have to preach long on this because we already know this one. But how many know, if you want to be a turkey, what do you hang around? Turkey lurkey here, turkey lurkey there. Let me, what, what do you do if you want to be an eagle? You go find some eagles. You go find... I'm not talking about Abilene High School. What do, you, what do you do if you want to be an eagle? Seriously, you want to rise above. You want to play out of your mind. You want to play above your head. Listen, I was an athlete all my life. You know how I got better? Is I found guys that could pummel me in every sport. They were better than me. You know, when I was on junior varsity, they made us execute... We were the blocking dummies for the varsity. And I remember Danny Gunn running me over every day, and he'd pick me back up. And let me tell you something. By the end of that year, I'd taken enough hits. I'd gotten run over enough, and I finally started standing up and fighting. And you know what? By the end of the year, Danny Gunn didn't have to pick me up anymore. I was putting on some pounded, too. I started getting strong. And, I, and all of a sudden, I, things shifted throughout the year. Because I was playing against somebody that was bigger than me, faster than me, harder hitting than me. But let me tell you something. I begin to rise to his level. 
Why? Because he was better. When I was playing tennis, I found the biggest, baddest tennis player I could find, which was Coach Easterling. I said, Coach, play me every day after practice. Let me tell you something. I went to regionals my senior year because I made Coach Easterling beat me every day after practice. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. I could barely ever return a serve of his. But you know what? I got to where I could return some serves of his. And if I could return a 100-mile-an-hour serve of Coach Easterling, I could certainly return a 60-mile-an-hour serve from Randall Stotts from Tahoka, Texas. It's been 30 years, but I still remember Randall, my opponent. Playing basketball. Guess who was the number one free throw shooter on the team? Yes, me. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was so good? No, because I practiced more. Because when the coach said, all right, I want you to shoot 200 free throws before you go in, I'd shoot three or 400. And we had the competition at the end of the year. I won because I stayed behind. I loved the game. But you gotta, you got to change the people you're associating with. Let me tell you something. You think, can I just do an old-fashioned youth illustration to prove my point? Annette, come up here. Oh, you just looked at me and shook your head. Come on, baby. Come here. Come here. Stand right there. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. Now, Annette, pretend she's not Annette. Pretend she's some hoodlum chick. It's trying to pull me down. But, but I'm on a missionary dating moment. I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a good guy, man. If I can just get her to church, man, she can change. But, boy, she's hot, so I'm going to go. I, I believe I can win her to Jesus, but, boy, woo! So I'm on a missionary dating moment. I'm just like, I, so I'm like, hey, baby, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to pull her up. I'm going to pull her up to my level. But you know what's going to happen? Come on. What's going to happen? What's, she's strong too, by the way. This is what's going to happen. Hey, go easy there. All right, give Annette a hand. She's strong, trust me. Let me tell you something. You think you're going to pull all those people up around you? It will never happen. You're not that anointed. You're not that strong. You don't have your foundation set as strong as you think you do. You think you can go in that environment and change it? Let me tell you something. That environment and those people will change you. And we've been here eight years. And I'm telling you, we could go down the list of names where we see the back row drift. They started on the first row, second row. Six months later, they're towards the back. By the time they get on the back three rows, no offense back there. By the time, because some of you just guests, thank you for coming. But let me tell you something. The ones that have been around here a while, we just watch the drift. We just watch it and they're getting further, further back. It's like the next, the next row back is that door right there. I can name names. My gosh, we've seen them come and go. And you know what? It's because they met somebody. The word works. And it's practical. Or they they found a new friend, new buddy to go hang out with after work. Come on, y'all know this is real. Get the word on this. 1 Corinthians 15, look what it says. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Some of y'all didn't even know that was in the Bible. Y'all just thought Archie Bunker said it. No, let me tell you something. This is real. Evil company corrupts good habits. It's the truth. And I'm telling you, 
one of your biggest downfalls isn't that you don't love Jesus. I'm not even saying you don't. But it's the people you're hanging around. They will tear you down. They will destroy you. And the enemy will see to it. Amen? Someone say, be transformed by the renewing of my mind. By changing the way I think. Say, I am in it to win it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just, for a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person here today. Father, as we build through this series and we bring this down to where we really live, I'm asking you to, uh, to anoint us together corporately that when we come together, there's a grace for us receiving instruction, receiving coaching, receiving discipleship and teaching from the Word of God. Father, that as we come together through this next few weeks, Lord, we will receive instruction that will help us win in life. Win in life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to know, God wants you to win in life. Yeah, we're going to heaven. Hallelujah. But we got some time between now and there. We need to win here, and we need to win now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just encourage you. God has sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, who wants to help you make wise decisions. Who wants to help you. Who wants to help you make good decisions? Say this with me. In Jesus' name, I have the mind of Christ. Therefore, I make good decisions. I make wise decisions. And what I just did is I I helped you activate the Word of God. And we want to teach you over the next few weeks how to activate this Word, how to work the Word. We know the Word works, but we have to work the Word, and we need training in this. Let me tell you, the power of execution is not, it's not game day. The power of execution is what you do every day. It's the training. Listen, game night was Friday night for us. Post bowl gold antelopes. We were going to go out like gladiators on Friday night. But let me tell you something. Saturday morning, it was a workout. Monday morning, Monday afternoon. Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon. We did two, two a days throughout the year. Thursday morning, workout. Thursday afternoon, a little bit lighter workout. Friday morning, light workout. Friday night, it was game time. And we started the cycle all over again. Listen, we executed on the field because we did it every single day. Training in righteousness. So when you come into this church and I teach a lesson or a principle, you go, oh wait, we've talked about that before. Don't dare think you've mastered it. Don't dare think you've mastered the fundamentals. Because if you did, I'd be seeing fruit out of your life. I'd be seeing world changers changing the world, not the world changing you. So don't, don't, don't ever think, oh, I already know this. Because knowing and doing are two different things. And God wants to get you working the word in your life. Father, I just pray for grace over every person here. I pray for power over every person here. I pray, God, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit over every person here, that there will be a grace to work this word. A grace to work this word. Say, in Jesus' name, I receive grace to work the word.